When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. I'm Stephanie Safarian, and this is Episode 75. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there and welcome back. Today we are talking about the fundamentals of zero-waste gardening for mediocre gardeners. On today's show, it's so important for me to say right off the bat that I am using the term gardening so loosely. Gardening does not have to mean tilling part of your yard to make way for rows and rows of crops. Gardening for you could simply mean growing something, one thing even, in the space you have. Maybe that means putting a small raised bed on your deck, or maybe it means something even smaller, like growing an herb, a basil, a parsley, or a mint on your fire escape so that you don't have to purchase herbs at the grocery store in that plastic box for the next few months. Whatever gardening means for you, I'm totally happy with. For me, the term gardening simply means growing some of your food and getting a little bit more connected to your food source. Now, my mother gardened when I was a kid, and I wanted no part of it. It wasn't fun. It was dirty. It took so long for a single thing to grow. For some strange reason, the only thing I remember about the entire gardening experience as a child was bags filled with beetles hanging from the posts of our fence. I don't know. I didn't like vegetables back then, so it's no surprise that I wasn't on board with the experience. But these days, my opinion on gardening has changed an awful lot. It's been 30 years, so it's about time. But now I am a gardening convert, and I think gardening is actually the coolest hobby in the world. I'm not even joking. And here's why. I have four reasons for you. The first reason is that gardening is the cheapest way to get organic crops. That is, if you decide to grow your crops without pesticides and herbicides. But gardening is the cheapest way to get organic crops to your front door. It's no surprise, organic produce can get pricey. So why not grow the healthiest and the priciest stuff yourself and save some money in the process? Now, the trick to saving money with a vegetable garden is limiting your costs while maximizing your yield. So growing your own vegetables can be rewarding whether or not you save money. But with a few tips that we're going to talk about today, your garden will save you money on a grocery bill or two or even three. The beauty about what we're talking about today is that low waste and zero waste living in all facets of your life often eliminates costs because, spoiler alert, 
buying stuff is always the opposite of a zero-waste lifestyle. All these ideas and concepts that I talk about every week go hand in hand. Now, by the way, if you're wondering whether a garden actually could save you money or whether gardening is just another expensive hobby, the National Gardening Association found that a well-maintained garden could churn out 300 pounds of fresh produce, which is worth $600 annually in savings. Wow, 600 bucks. Reason number two why gardening is amazing, gardening connects you to your food source. When you realize, and you truly realize, you feel it in your bones, how long it takes and how hard it can be to grow that single head of broccoli, for example, you find yourself less likely to waste even a bit of it. The best part is this knowledge eventually extends itself to all the other food in your home, your milk, your yogurt your red pepper that's been sitting in the crisper for perhaps too long. You waste less food naturally, and again, by default, you save more money. Reason number three is that gardening is the epitome of local eating. Growing your produce at home eliminates the need completely to ship produce from other countries and other continents even, and you can eat content knowing that your food did not sit on that diesel-burning refrigerator on wheels for thousands and thousands of miles. On to reason number four, if you have young children like I do, gardening is a season-long learning experience. Last year, my oldest daughter was four, and I was truly shocked in a good way at how greatly she invested herself in the whole process. She was not like me as a kid in my mother's beetle-infested garden. My daughter helped me water every night. <laughs> she was the first to pick those sugar snap peas off the vine. She ate more off the vine than we actually saved, but that's another story for another day. On today's episode, I am giving you my best suggestions to make your garden as zero waste as possible. We'll be chatting about gardening tools, reducing water waste, why exactly composting is the second best hobby in the world, right behind gardening, of course. We'll be talking about how to start your garden from seeds and a few other tips and tricks I've picked up along the way. My hope is not to add another thing onto your already overflowing to-do list. My hope instead is to inspire you to grow something, one little thing, and bonus points if you get enjoyment out of it. So here we go. First thing we're going to talk about today is the tools of the gardening trade. For 99% of you listening today, gardening is or may eventually one day be a hobby. It's never going to be a profession. Hobbies can get expensive, especially if you're not careful as you acquire all the tools and equipment you need to perform that hobby adequately. A quick Google search of gardening tools yields over a dozen things that Google tells you you need to purchase in order to garden. A shovel, a spade, a spading fork, a rake, a hoe, the list goes on and on. And when it comes to tools, while I do believe it is worth investing in decent quality tools that will last you for several years, as opposed to buying the cheaper ones that will break and will have to be replaced, I suggest you keep an eye out for really great, really well-made secondhand tools. 
Don't spend a lot of money on the new flashy stuff up front, especially if you aren't even sure that gardening is a hobby you'll stick with. You could use freecycle.com or check out those garage sales or even just consider borrowing from a fellow gardener. Now, if you're really bare bonesing it, you're growing one, two things maybe on your fire escape, the only thing you really need is a shovel. And I invite you to consider whether or not you actually even need a shovel. For example, you could take a milk jug, a plastic milk jug, use the handle and create yourself a really ingenious shovel out of your milk jug. You will also need pots. We will get to pots later. However, if you need netting to keep the critters out or keep the deer out, in my case, go to lengths not to buy it. Netting is just more plastic. So ask around and see if you can take that netting off of someone else's hands. The trick with gardening and with anything really is to make buying your absolute last resort. Now here's an example. This year, my family is attempting to grow strawberries. And so far, so good. Fingers crossed. But it's almost as though I can see the birds circling overhead. They're just <laughs> they're just waiting for that first strawberry to ripen. Now, I knew weeks ago I needed nets, but I am too eco-friendly and honestly, I'm too cheap to buy a new roll from the garden center. So I asked around. It turns out my own mother had just enough netting to cover my little strawberry patch perfectly. So she got to minimize it. She took it off her hands. I got it for free. And again, fingers crossed, hopefully my family will be eating the juiciest strawberries in about four weeks. We will see. Now, if you're attempting an intermediate garden this year and you need plant labels to keep your plants straight, get creative here too. You don't need those plastic labels that come in that plastic bag at the garden center. You could use the handle of your bamboo toothbrush, for example, rather than adding that bamboo handle to the compost bin, just write on it, stick it in your garden. There you go. Perfect plant label. Or just today, my daughter had a fruit pop. Instead of taking that stick and trashing it, I washed it off. That stick will now be my eggplant plant label for the season. Final thought here is a little creativity, a little forethought when it comes to the tools of the trade goes an awful long way. Now, when it comes to zero waste gardening, you best have a compost pile. Are you composting yet? Are you? Have I convinced you in 75 episodes to compost yet? I hope so. All the compost that you saved all year long, all those vegetable scraps, all those fruit scraps, all that bread, all that brown matter that you've been diligently throwing into your compost bin all year long offers the perfect nutrients for your budding summer garden. Your compost also saves you a ton of money on fertilizer too. Now, when we talk about zero waste living as it applies to our garden, I want you to think less about waste as applying to manufactured products like spades and trowels. Think of zero waste living as also encompassing scraps and peels from the food we eat. Because when you compost, what you're doing is you're taking those scraps and those peels and you're using them so that nothing is wasted. Having a bin for compost is really, in my view, an essential part of gardening because it produces the natural nutrients that a garden needs 
better than any store-bought product ever will. And it will provide your plant, so your next season of food, with a healthier and more robust life source. So let's talk about soil in the plastic bag and fertilizer in the plastic bag. While you will need to purchase soil, there's no way of getting around that, if you compost, you've completely eliminated the need to purchase fertilizer. Now, a little side note here, a lot of gardeners rely on fertilizer. However, it's a common rookie mistake to fertilize too much because excessive fertilizer can be harmful to your plants and the soil, as in they create lush plants, but less of an actual harvest. So again, if you compost, you don't need to worry about fertilizer at all. You don't need to spend the money on fertilizer at all because you are feeding your soil and the soil will then feed your plants. So you've got your tools You've got your soil that's just so healthy thanks to your compost. Now we need to talk about what to plant and when to plant it. The absolute most zero waste practice is to start from seeds. Now, full disclosure, depending on where you live, unless you're in the Southern Hemisphere, it is too late to start from seeds for you this year. But I ask you to consider it for next year. If you purchase established plants from the garden store, so you purchase a tomato plant, let's say, that's already a foot high, that can get pricey. Just yesterday, for example, I bought an heirloom brandywine tomato plant for a whopping $13.99. So you could spend $13.99 for a tomato plant like I did, or you could start from seed. And starting from seed is free, especially if you saved seeds from your produce last year. Growing your plants from seed enables you to skirt around that plastic pot issue. So you know it to be true. It's no secret that plants come in those plastic pots. As with anything plastic, the harder and more durable plastic pots are easy to recycle. But because they're so durable, it's kind of like a catch-22. They can also be reused easily year after year after year. So they can be recycled, but those are the ones you want to keep to reuse. Now, there are also those flimsy plastic pots. Often they come in the form of seed starters, and those are another story. Soft plastic is increasingly hard to recycle in today's world, and soft plastic also, and not surprisingly, doesn't last all that long, right? Those seed starters kind of almost break and tear in your hands. It cracks open, it rips. My best advice for you if you buy your plants and if you have plastic pots left over is to save what you can and what you realistically will reuse for your growing needs in the future. So save those, but return the rest to wherever you acquired your plants. Don't recycle them. Recycling systems are overburdened as it is, so see if you can return them to your local gardening center. When it comes to starting your seeds at home and growing your plants from seeds, a great reuse idea is to make miniature greenhouses for your seedlings using either a clear plastic bottle, like a lemonade bottle, for example, or a plastic strawberry container. Making little miniature greenhouses will promote germination and create hardy seedlings to be planted outside when the weather is right in your location. Now, one final tip here from starting from seeds. If you have a seed packet in your house and it says that the seeds inside are expired, I suggest you try them anyway. 
If the seeds take and they grow, you've gained a plant or two or three. If those seeds don't grow, you've lost nothing. So try them anyway. Oftentimes they still grow, even though they're quote unquote expired. If next year is the year that you are going to attempt to plant some or all of your crops from seed, know that you can repurpose so many common household items as seed starters. So there's no need for plastic pots at all. You could use egg cartons. You could use toilet paper rolls. You could use newspaper rolled up into little rolls. You could even use eggshells. The opportunities to reuse common household items as seed starters are endless. The last zero waste tip I'd love to talk about today is water waste and how to prevent it. First things first, don't forget to mulch after you plant your garden. A good layer of mulch or shredded leaves or straw keeps in moisture, prevents weeds, keeps the soil temperature stable, and adds nutrition to the soil as it breaks down. Mulching may not be the prettiest option, but it keeps in moisture and it really is a protective barrier to your plants. Now, when it comes to the actual watering of your plants, I suggest if space allows, you invest in a rain barrel. My sister bought me a rain barrel for my birthday last year. Thank you, sister, if you're listening. Uh, If you live in a single family home, you can take that rain barrel, you can hook it up to a downspout on the exterior of your home, and you can watch that rain barrel fill up remarkably fast. You can get creative with saving water too. Here's an example. I have two dehumidifiers in my basement, and when the dehumidifiers fill with water, I use that water to water my garden. And then shortly after, I go on with my bad self and I pat myself on the back for being so resourceful. Now, a final tip here for saving water is one that I have not personally tried, so I can't vouch for it, but I can suggest perhaps that you try it and report back to me. It is to reuse plastic containers from your refrigerator, like that lemonade container, like that milk jug, and you can turn it over so that the spout is pointed toward the roots of the plant. So you dig it into the soil and you make sure the spout is pointing towards the root of your plant and you cut the bottom off. So it's kind of like a funnel and you pour water directly into the repurposed container so that the water goes directly to where the plant needs it most, which is the roots. This prevents excess water being wasted willy-nilly on the leaves of the plant on the topsoil. The water you use to water your plants goes directly to your plant's roots. So we talked about how to get tools for free or for cheap. We talked about composting. We talked about starting from seeds. We talked about reducing water waste. And before we go, I just have a few more tips, five to be exact, from me to any intrigued non-gardeners out there who may be thinking about taking the plunge and attempting their first garden. So here are my five suggestions. The first is... Don't bite off more than you can chew, especially in your first year. Plant fewer plants. It is so easy to get carried away, especially if you're going to that garden store and you're buying those established plants. They look so great. They look so healthy. There's the opportunity for you to grow all these foods you just love to eat, like eggplant, heirloom peppers, brandywine tomatoes. Rein yourself in and garden on the small scale in your first year. Keep it small. Keep it simple. 
Suggestion number two is to stick to easy plants. So what are the easy plants? The easy plants are salad greens. Those are notoriously easy to grow. Herbs. I successfully grow sugar snap peas and green beans with such little effort, it's almost comical. Save those more temperamental plants like the cauliflower, the broccoli, the melons, the onions. Save those for down the road when you've acquired additional gardening know-how. Last year, I made mistake number one, which was I went to the garden center. I got carried away looking at all these adorable little plants. And I tried broccoli with the happiest of hopes, and I yielded not a single head of broccoli. I'm still not sure what I did wrong, but if I hadn't had successes with all of the easier crops that I planted, the broccoli fiasco may have really bummed me out. My family was too busy eating all the other easy stuff I grew to notice the absence of homegrown broccoli at the dinner table, so all worked out in the end, but save yourself from disappointments by just planting the easy stuff at the get-go. Tip number three is... Of course, to view your first garden as an experiment and to keep your expectations so low. (laughs) This way, you won't be disappointed if things don't go quite as planned, but you'll be happily pleased when you do yield some crops. Suggestion number four is to remember location, 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 right? Location is key. Plant whatever it is you're planting, whether it's herbs on your fire escape or a gigantic garden or somewhere in between, in full sun or close to it. Most vegetables do best in full sun, so make sure you are planting your vegetable plants in a place that gets at least six hours of sun a day. Now, when it comes to location, that also means planting your plants in a manner that allow all plants to get equal sun access, right? So you're not going to want to plant that two foot tall tomato plant in front of your smaller crops. You're going to want to plant them in the back so that the smaller crops get access to the sun as well. My fifth and final tip for you is when it comes to pest control, be patient. Pests are generally a given in every vegetable garden. But by being patient, know that nature will usually take care of the pest on its own. I would never and will never advocate for insecticides. But if you find yourself reaching for the pesticides, never ever apply them in the morning when the bees and other pollinators are most active because we do not want to kill those bees. (laughs) Remember that you do not want to put chemicals on your food garden, especially the food garden in your yard. So focus on growing healthy plants with great soil and sunny conditions and go on with your bad self and let nature take care of the pests for you. So there you have it. I so hope I inspired even the most reluctant of listeners to grow something, to try to grow something. And if you do, please reach out and let me know how it goes. You can find this week's show notes, so everything we talk about today, at mamaminimalist.com dot com forward slash zero seven five. That's M-A-M-A minimalist.com forward slash zero seven five. On next week's show, we are talking about the shoebox method of decluttering. We're talking about what it is, how it works, and why it is so darn effective for even the most reluctant declutterers. I will see you then. Take care.